Well, hey, everybody. Thank you for that warm welcome, and I want to send a warm welcome to you, to Westwood family across all of Westwood's campuses and online. It's an honor to be with you and uh, to continue doing so into the future. And so today, as we dive into the word, uh, I want to start with a public service announcement. So because uh, this season I get to get to, I'm excited to announce, it is now appropriate to listen to Christmas music. <laughs> Woohoo! I know some of you are like, I've been doing this since July. And I just want to say to those of you who do that, first of all, I'm with you. I'm one of you. But secondly, when you listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, you are causing those around you to sin. And so now is the time to unleash that music, and we're glad. All right. Second thing is I want to talk about the topic for today. And today's topic is... Waiting. I know, you thought I forgot it. <laughs> Today's topic is waiting, specifically when God tells us to wait. And have you had that experience? Maybe God's telling you to wait on a relationship. Maybe he's telling you to wait on an answer to something. Maybe he's telling you to wait on a miracle, a need, a, a crying out to him. And, and I think all of us, whether we're there right now or have been at some point, in our, we, we've all at some point in our life been in a place of waiting. And I can think of a few of those in my own life uh, where I've just had seasons of crying out, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm crying out to you. I'm looking for an answer for something. Lord, help! And just crying out. I, one of those was about a year ago when I stepped into the role that, that Pastor Joel talked about in, in, the, in the video of leading a national organization and I wanted to hit the ground running. I had vision. I've got ideas. Let's go. And I just kept getting this message over and over again like just wait just wait just wait there will be a time but just wait and man I, I was actually getting a little frustrated like God I want to go what do you mean wait so I'm sitting on an airplane and I'm I'm just praying and I'm crying out to God in my heart Lord when is the time would you just give me a clear message what do you want me to do and I opened my eyes and the screen in front of me on the seat in front of me it just said please wait dot, dot, dot. In fact, the entire airplane, they'd reset the screen. So I look around the entire plane, please wait, please wait, please wait, please wait. So God gave me a very clear, just wait on me. And maybe today, maybe today this message is a clear message for some of you today who are crying out, just wait, trust God. God is God. And we're going to get into this. So what what do we do when we're talking about waiting? And I'm going to start today by diving into one of the most famous passages about waiting. And we can pull it up here. It's from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And you're probably thinking, this is not a passage about waiting. This is about hope. This is about future. This is the passage we give to new grads about exciting new chapters. But look at the, con look at the context of this passage. Jeremiah 29, 10. When 70 years are completed. So this is the verse immediately before the one we just read. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you to bring you back to this place, a place of hope and a future. So this, Jeremiah 29, it is about hope, it is about future, but it's mostly about waiting on God for that hopeful future. 
I mean, just think about what we're communicating to grads when we give them this. Because some of you have probably even like handwritten calligraphy, beautiful for I know the plans I have for you. Like, like God has amazing plans for you, new grad. You might be in your mom's basement for 70 years, but it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. The, prom- the, the context here is the people of Israel have been pulled into exile away from their home and, and, and God is telling them, just wait. In fact, he's giving them a specific window of time, 70 years. I have great plans for you. So today I want to answer two questions for us. The first one is this. What, do we, what, what is God doing when he tells us to wait? And the second one is this. What do we do when God tells us to wait? So what is God doing when he tells us to wait? And, and this is a very simple point, And there's just one point. It's this. While we are waiting... God is working. Would you look at the person next to you and just tell them, God is working. God is working. While we're waiting, God is working. He, he hasn't left us. He, he hasn't abandoned us. He, he is still at work. And we, what we all often forget is his perspective is so much bigger than ours. And what he's doing and how he works is so much greater than ours. Uh, Look at this from the book of Ecclesiastes. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God is greater, grander, bigger. Time itself is a created thing. That almost hurts my head to say and think about. But, and, and let me use an analogy, maybe some of you have heard this before, but we experience time from one end moving to the other. So picture it like a straw, and you're moving from one end of the straw to the other. And as we go, we have the perspective of the point we are moving through that path. But when God looks at time, he's outside of it, he sees the entire straw at one time. So what we see is our limited perspective, he sees all of it. Now, now just think about this. God's perspective is so much bigger than ours. Like how many of you, when making a huge life decision, base it on the advice of a five-year-old? Like we would never do that. I mean, some of you are like, I actually did. Yeah, I'm curious how that worked out. Because for the most part, if you go to a five-year-old about job, direction, life, what you're going to spend money on, you're probably not going to get great life wisdom and experience, Right? We don't go to the five-year-olds for, for that, kind of, that kind of insight. But yet we, before God Almighty, act like we know better than him. He knows it all. He's bigger. He's grander. He is all-powerful. Do we trust him and his viewpoint even though we can't see it all? And God's timing is perfect. And I know that sounds cliche, but sometimes a cliche is a cliche because it's true. God's timing is is perfect, even when we can't see it all. Uh, My wife and I, uh, some of you might be waiting on a relationship or maybe you have stories similar to mine, but I I remember like as as a young man wondering who will be the woman that I marry? God, who do you have out there for me? Like I I remember looking at the moon in the sky and this is like the romantic in me was like somewhere out there, my future wife is looking at that same moon. Right? And I just like, Lord, what is your timing? How will this work? And, and, and it's interesting now, looking back in hindsight, I can see God's hand all the way through, but at the time I didn't. Like my wife and my life, it, it paralleled 
all the way through, but, but our meetings, we, we, really, we didn't know each other, even though our lives like parallel, and I won't get into all the details, but, but here's our first shared memory. Sixth grade camp in the middle of Wisconsin. I remember running down a hill, wiping out at some night game and getting this just, just like bruising my knee, skinning it. I literally have a physical scar to this day from that. And up on this hill are these three little girls mocking me. <laughs> yeah, you know that where this is going. One of those three little girls, my future wife. That was not the time to meet. Now, I might still have a physical and emotional scar from that moment, but that was our first shared memory. Years later, and our lives still kept parallel, paralleling. At one point, uh, she goes to a private high school. I go to a public high school. She transfers out of that private high school sophomore year. I transferred into it sophomore year. We just missed each other. And I'm telling you, if we would have met then, it was not God's perfect timing for us to be together. It wouldn't have happened. And then ultimately, we meet each other in college. And when we meet, we have this moment. My wife describes it this way. She says it was like, it was like coming home, like when we met. I mean, isn't that like movie-esque? And it was so movie-esque that, that I asked her out on a date. We went on that date. And then she stopped talking to me and started dating somebody else. <laughs> so that wasn't it. That wasn't his perfect timing. Along the way, she got engaged to somebody else. Like, God, where's your timing in this? But when the time was right, that engagement obviously didn't happen and, and the, the timing was right and we came together in that perfect, that moment, I saw God's hand of timing in both of us praying, Lord, would you lead us forward? Even to the degree, and I'm gonna share this because uh, it isn't what I writ, wrote ahead of time, but some of you might be in this position even to the point where my wife was in an engagement with somebody else and she was wondering, God, is this your will for me? And she cried out, she was praying, God, is this what you want? And then that guy in that moment said, you know, I wonder if we should be dating other people. They were engaged at the time. And she's like, God, you just answered my prayer. And then a week later, he's like, I don't even know why I said that. Let's, let's. And she's like, no, this is clarity. And, uh, and now here, I just see God's hand at work. While we're waiting, God is working. Even when we don't see, we can trust him. And, and I love this because his timing is perfect and in the fullness of time, he brings what he has planned. That includes his promise of Jesus. Galatians 4 says this, but when the, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, to redeem. At the fullness of time, Jesus came. Now this is pretty astounding because if you go back to the beginning with Adam and Eve, what, what necessitated us needing a savior, what the brokenness of our world that we're in, like they didn't know the timing of when things would come. They didn't know all that would follow. Like think about Adam and Eve. We go all the way back. God had a perfect world. Adam and Eve are there and, and clearly they disobeyed. Now you might make a mistake here or there, but I'm guessing it doesn't affect all of humanity. But for Eve, taking the forbidden fruit and then Adam doing the same, they disobeyed God and it affects all, like the world is broken, isn't it? Like war, sickness, right? People who play Christmas music in July, the world is completely broken and we need a savior. And if you go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God is laying out the consequences of this and, and, and all that comes with that. And in the middle of it, he offers this promise of hope 
that people began waiting on. He said, the seed of Eve, the seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent. Now, this is fascinating for a couple reasons. One, this is the only place in the entire Bible where the seed of someone is in reference to a female instead of a male. The only place. Everywhere else in the Old Testament, it talks about the seed, it's the seed of a man. But here he says, the seed of the woman. And why is that significant? Because when that promise was fulfilled and Jesus came born of a woman without an earthly father, miraculous virgin birth, seed of a woman. So that promise was there right from the beginning. And this, this astounds me because up to this point, Eve didn't have a name. She was just called woman or the woman. And after all of this happens, curse, consequences, brokenness that we're all experiencing today, after all of that happens, Adam then, and we can look at the passage, names his wife. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Like Eve means life, life bringer. Like he could have named her bringer of death. But instead, he named her Eve because she would become the mother of all the living, the seed of the promise. And I have to imagine for Adam and Eve, they thought, well, God, God's given us this promise and when their firstborn child, their son came, they must have thought, this is the child of the promise. Except if you read through the Old Testament, that son was definitely not the son of the promise. And we won't get into the details. But then prophet after prophet after prophet, uh, historical account after historical account, the people of Israel. I mean, I was just reading about uh, 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 Jacob blessing his sons and he says of Judah that uh, basically a messianic promise to him and, and him the lion of Judah and from that line all the way through we can track the promise of God. They're just waiting on him. They don't know the timing but they just keep getting pieces of it and pieces of it and pieces of it. Then you get to Isaiah. Isaiah has one of the most amazing callings in all of the Bible. Uh, Isaiah chapter six. He goes, he's in a vision in the throne room of God Almighty uh, holy is his name, seraphim are serving him. Isaiah is like, I'm not worthy. It's just powerful. It's like a movie moment. And then God says, who will be my messenger? And Isaiah says, here I am. Do you know the second part? This is how the pastor makes sure you're still with me. Yeah, here I am. Send me. And he goes, send me. And this beautiful and amazing. And then keep reading. Because the calling that Isaiah is given is to go and speak a message to a people who won't listen. To go and share the truth of God and no one's gonna listen to you. It, is that the calling you want? Isaiah was waiting on a response to a message he would never actually see in his lifetime. But he was obedient to God even though the fulfillment of it wasn't something he would get to see in his life. Now, I have a friend, uh, Pastor Demolesh, uh, pastor Demolesh is an Ethiopian. He's a pastor here in the Twin Cities. Pastors a large Ethiopian church. Has a ministry that video ministry that literally reaching thousands of people around the world. In incredibly prolific and 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 uh, powerful messages that he gives. But Demolesh was not always a Christian. He actually grew up as a Muslim in a small village in Ethiopia. And some missionaries came to his city when he was young, and they built a school and they they built a, a health clinic. And then the locals, the Muslims, realized that these were Christians, so they burned down the school and they burned down the health clinic and they kicked the missionaries out. 
And the only ones to become Christians in that entire village were Pastor Demolesh and his family. And if you ask him why, here's what he'll tell you. He'll say it actually wasn't those missionaries specifically. It was that they had heard stories about these Swedish missionaries who were so intent on bringing a message to them that they were, wor- they were, wo- they were working their way through the desert, like working their way out to this remote village and they died on the way there. In fact, the story is they were found dead in a praying position in the middle of the desert. And so he said, when I heard the story of people who literally died wanting to bring us a message, it was so important to them that they died on the way. When these other people came, they thought we should listen to them. So think about it from the Swedish missionaries perspective. Their life calling, this beautiful thing, we're going to go to Ethiopia and share the good news of Jesus. They didn't even make it there. They never got to see the fulfillment of it. But in God's perfect timing, it echo, it's con- their sacrifice is continuing to echo out in, in, in just a multitude of ways around the world. So we can trust God even in our suffering, even when we don't see the full picture. We can trust him. Because even though we're waiting, God is working. And one last thing on that point. We have this period between the Old Testament and the New Testament called the intertestamental period. Uh, and during that time, it's about 400 years after the last book in the Old Testament and, in the, and then when Jesus comes in the New, where it's, it's, it's often looked at as a time of silence. Like we didn't hear a lot from God during those, those times. But even in that time, God was working. During that 400 years, Alexander the Great conquered the known world, which created a common language that was shared across the world. During that time, Rome came into power and they built roads that connected the known world. So when Jesus came, a baby born in the flesh at the fullness of time, there was a language common that could spread that word near and far, the Greek New Testament, and there were roads to carry that message across the known world. In the fullness of time, God moves. And while we're waiting, God is still working. So that's the first half. The second half is, what do we do while we're waiting on God? And so let's get into that. What do we do when God says wait? And the first thing is live at peace. Live. Some of us in our waiting, we just stop living. Like we're waiting on something and we just, it, it, maybe you get like this, some of, sometimes I do, where I'm, I'm so busy thinking about the good old days in the past or I'm so busy thinking about where I'm trying to be and want things to be in the future that I don't actually live in the moment that I'm in today. Anybody experience that? Live, be, and be at peace in it. Here's what Jeremiah 29, going back to that same passage that we were looking at before, earlier on it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. While you're waiting, increase, don't decrease. Live, be at peace. Don't, don't, don't pause, but live life. While you're waiting, live. Now, waiting can be hard. 
And I, and I want to give this encouragement. Delayed gratification is actually a really good thing. We, we know that in every aspect of life, but it can be really hard. Uh, they did a study in the 1960s. Some of you may have heard of this called the marshmallow test. Yeah, if you've heard of it, yeah. It's a really famous study where they, they t- came to kids and they gave them one marshmallow. And they said, you can eat this marshmallow now, but if you wait, we'll give you a second marshmallow if you haven't eaten the first one. And so they tested how good, they were, how good were they at delayed gratification. But here's where the study gets really interesting. When they came back to those same kids and watched them in life and watched them grow uh, and came back to them decades later, what they found is those who were able to, have de- to, to, to um, show delayed gratification, they were more successful consistently across all arenas of life. Fascinating. And we're going to come back to that study, but I just want to say this. When God says wait, let's wait and let's live and be at peace in that while we're waiting. Second point, so if the first one is to live at peace, the second one is to be a blessing. And going back again to Jeremiah, this is what it says. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He's saying, don't just be at peace, bless those around you. Now, now that might seem like a really easy thing to just say, hey, go bless people. But let's be honest, when we're waiting, when we're frustrated, when we're, we're, we're kind of in that complaining mode, we're, we're usually not the best people to be around. Amen to that? But he's saying, while you're waiting, he's saying to the people of Israel, while you're suffering, pulled away from your home for all these years, bless those around you. Now, you might not like the politics of the world around you, but are you blessing and praying for your civic leaders? You might not like the way your neighbor mows the lawn or some of the things that they do, but are you blessing and praying for and honoring them? Some of us at Thanksgiving is an amazing time where we're just energized by family. Some of us are just recovering from our time with our family. And even then, are you blessing those around you? Bless your family, bless your neighbors, bless your leaders. Are you being a blessing? So while we're waiting, live at peace. While we're waiting, be a blessing. And then thirdly, while we're waiting, get excited about what is yet to come. This is the really fun part of the message. While we're waiting, get excited. In the Old Testament, there are four words translated in Hebrew as wait. And the two most popular ones that are almost almost used in every passage uh, have the same connotation of waiting with excitement. And we, as followers of Jesus, we we wait. We, We waited for Jesus to come and then Jesus came and he says, now wait until my second coming. He goes, I go to prepare a house for you and I'm coming back for you. Like there should be some excitement growing in us for that. Like waiting on what God has for us. What the promise, like just think about what heaven, like this is what God has promised for heaven. Like it says in Isaiah that it is, it is, we will run and not grow weary. We'll, there'll be no tears, there'll be no crying, there'll be no sadness, no sickness. That's what Revelation tells us. But think about this, run and not grow weary. I don't know how many people in here are runners, but I'm gonna tell you this. No matter how much you run, you know real runners by the number of injuries they will tell you about. 
Like running is managing pain in our world. I, I paced a guy doing a 208 mile ultra run in one weekend. It's astounding feat of, 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 of like just the body being able to do that. But he had blisters that looked like toes. Like he was in pain. He was managing pain at the end of it. But in heaven, we're going to run and not grow weary. We're going to run ultras before breakfast and not even blink. And, and I feel like, listen, the people of Israel, 70 years and then they were going to go back. When that 70 years came up and Nehemiah says, hey, it's time to go back. Only a remnant returned. They got so comfortable being in that foreign place that when the promise fulfillment came, they missed it. Can I just say to us today, let's not be people who miss the promises of God. I mean, I feel like the Christian church today, we're missing an anticipation and an excitement for Jesus returning again. And if all the seasons to have excitement, Christmas should be one. Like we have all the things that build excitement for us. We, we set up the trees. The snow starts falling in Minnesota. We, we wrap the presents. We watch the movies. We listen to the music. And it's inside, excitement is building towards something awesome to come. Now, now, maybe you've heard this analogy before, but there was a woman who knew that her last day was coming. So she met with her pastor and uh, she said, hey, at my funeral, I'd like you to do something for me. She said, would you take a fork and put it into the coffin with me? And, and uh, he was like, okay, I can do that, but that's a little strange. Why do you want that? And maybe some of you have heard this before, but she said, well, when, uh, when I was growing up, and some of you may have literally just said this a couple days ago in your own family and homes, that when I was growing up, when, they, when we had a meal, a family meal, and they said, keep your fork, it always meant the best is yet to come. And the promise of Jesus is that the best is yet to come. That we, there's something more, there's something greater because of him. The best is yet to come. That we can have hope in that and excitement in that. Now, now come back to the marshmallow test. They came back to that marshmallow test a couple years later and they wanted to know, like, is this just nature or nurture? Is this just some people are good at delayed gratification and others aren't? Here's what they learned. For the, kid, for the children who were in environments where those older or adults uh, said something and then kept their word, they were able to wait for that marshmallow to come. For those that were in environments of people who weren't trustworthy, who said something and didn't keep their promises, they always took the first marshmallow because they were like, I don't know if that second one's gonna come. I'm gonna take what I can while I can. But listen, followers of Jesus, God has made promises and he has kept them time and time and time again. When he says there's a future coming where the brokenness is fixed, when Jesus returns, when all is made right, like this is the imperfect world. Imagine what the perfect world is like. Beautiful, amazing, glorious, where we are running and not getting tired, where we are not crying or sad, where we experience the full joyness of all that God, God truly has for us. Like that's something to get excited about. And I don't know if you realize this, but what we do when we come together and worship is all about getting excited about, about that. Even communion, uh, the Lord's Supper. When, when Jesus does the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he says, I won't have this meal again with you, with you until I do again in my Father's house in heaven. 
In other words, he's telling us when we have that meal, it's a taste of the meal to come. And it is, let's be honest, it's not a great foretaste of a feast, right? I don't think Jesus is, I don't think we're gonna be in heaven and he's gonna be like, well, I prepared all these little wafers with my face stamped on them. I think it's gonna be a massive, joyous family feast of the fullness of all God has. But when we take that wafer, that bread, then we take that wine, where we are looking forward to the full promise fulfilled yet to come. We're looking at the cross behind and the fullness to come. And I don't know where you're at, but I'm praying this, where in your waiting, in your waiting, Would you know that God is working? Would you live at peace? Would you be a blessing? And would you get excited about what's to come? One last word on this, and I like to over metaphor, so I'll throw one more in there. I started a message with this once, so I'm gonna end it with it here. Uh, I had a friend who was with her little kid years ago, walking out of a grocery store. Her kid was gnawing on a chocolate candy bar and she looks up and the sky looks like it's just about to open up. You ever just seen it? It was just like glorious and clouds. And she goes, wow, as she's holding her kid's hand. It looks like Jesus is, could be coming back right now. And her son looks at the clouds and looks at her and looks at his candy bar. And he goes, do you think he'll let me finish my candy bar first? <laughs> and I just, man, Let's be people who are so excited about Jesus' return. We don't, we don't fall in love with some silly thing in this world and miss the greatness of the promise to come. Let's wait on him and trust his timing with our relationships, with our questions, with our needs. He is faithful and true and trustworthy. Amen? Amen. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that as we're waiting on you, uh, maybe in our singleness, Lord, May we be at peace in our questions and seeking or our needs, Lord, presented. And may we be at peace in our waiting, Lord, waiting on you. May we be at peace and know your promises in the past, including that empty grave. Your Holy Spirit with us, our reminders, deposits, of your promises yet to be fulfilled. And may we have excitement, Lord, about what is to come. In your name and for your glory alone, I pray. Amen.